distance Ribbon of black Stretched to the point Of no turning back Flight of fancy On a windswept field Standing alone My senses real Hello, my name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the things that matter to them. Today, we have with us Mike, who you guys know as Vesper, and Mike, you are coming to us today from uh, from Balmy, Wisconsin, is that correct? Yes, we had uh, snow on the ground this morning. What's that? Uh, what's snow? I don't understand. It's just white stuff. It's cold. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I've I've heard of it. I think I've read about it in books. They have, I think they have snow in Lord of the Rings. Uh, right at the very top of the mountains. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's see. You're out there in Wisconsin. You have snow. I'm real sorry. My condolences. Uh, you. I one of the things I want I've been thinking about you lately because as soon as I knew we were going to tape you mentioned this and it's something that I keep running into you have a lot in common with Justin Fletcher and with uh, uh, Nick who I did a podcast with uh, last week in that you have not one kid but two kids and these kids did not have the common courtesy to stagger their arrival times that's correct. You know, we uh, placed an order for one child and unfortunately got a, a second one free. <laughs> so there was a deal that day. Right. Uh, and you probably didn't even realize that you were signing up for that deal. No, I did not. We now, have, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say uh, we have T-shirts for them, one of them, but one of which says first and the other one says last for our first and last child. <laughs> oh, OK. So I, I understand. Like like the, the joke being not that one of them is better than the other. But no, no, no. Being this that is, you're done. That this is, this it. is our <laughs> our first child and our last child. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, now you have the advantage over uh, Nick and Justin in that you've been doing this longer. I think your twins are. You said five years old, right? Yep. They just turned five in January. Justin is the new kid on the block, uh, and I think Nick's. Actually, I forgot how old he said his kids were, but I'm pretty sure they're younger than five and older than uh, four months. Yeah, I want to say they were two or three. Okay. Uh, Now, here's what I want to ask you, and here's where you have a really tough act to follow. Nick named his sons Alexander and Zachary, like A to Z. Those are both beautiful names. Can you top that? I cannot. Um, My kids' names are Natalie and Wesley. No, Natalie... Go ahead, go ahead. Natalie's just a was a it was a fun name we picked out, but uh, Wesley has a couple geek references to Princess Bride and Buffy and a couple other things. Uh, and I think there's a Star Trek thing there, isn't there? Yeah, that one was the unfortunate one. Why is that the unfortunate one? Uh, not a fan of Wesley Crusher. What, what's wrong with what? I don't I know I know nothing about Star Trek, so I ask because my middle name is Wesley. So oh, I really? It's like, yeah, I know what it's like to have that name, and it sucked when I was younger. And then Princess Bride came out, and suddenly I was like, yeah, okay, cool, my middle name, I'm okay with. It. <laughs> but what's wrong with Wesley Crusher? I don't know uh, my. He was Star Trek he stuff. was just the the whiny character from uh, from Next Generation that I never cared for. Oh, is that like a common perception? Should I not run around and and bring up like cool as examples of cool Wesleys? I shouldn't bring up the Star Trek dude. I would not. Okay. 
like that one. Uh, so Wesley and Natalie. Natalie's a good. Those are actually both good because I I'm partial, of course, to to Wesley, and I've known some very very cool Natalies in my day. So I think you've done well. I approve. Yeah. Um, and we were, we were trying to pick up names that weren't very common, so we spent a lot of time looking against the uh, top names list, trying mm-hmm. to get down to number thirty or less. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, now I have to say, I can understand why you guys might want to pick out names that aren't very common. Your name being Mike, you mentioned your wife's name is Kate. Correct. Because you're probably like, oh god, we've got vanilla names. Let's give them <laughs> interesting, right? Yes, yeah, so I have the uh, the most popular name of my uh, my year I was born. So. Uh, and so you guys have these five-year-old kids. Uh, what advice do you have for Justin Fletcher and Nick? Um, well, for uh, Justin, uh, my advice is just to survive because the first year is <laughs> fairly terrible. <laughs> Lots of uh, not sleeping and rough issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nick's probably on an easier path by now. Now that they're sleeping through the night and he gets a little more free time. Now, how are uh, Natalie and Wesley at five years old? Are they, are they terrors? Are they uh, are they charming? Are they lovely? Are they in between? They're in between. You know, they go from uh, very loving and charming to uh, throwing tantrums. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of sharing issues between toys, <laughs> since they have to share everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the favorite toys of a five-year-old these days? Um, they tend to like to reenact movies they've seen. So the last thing they saw was uh, that movie Tangled. Well, we got it on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So they've been uh, playing with all their various, uh, my daughter's Barbies, or my son kind of uses her Barbies to play out scenes from Tangled. <laughs> now, I'm guessing at some point, and actually this must be, fascin- this must be fascinating with twins, seeing the sort of their, their gender identities emerge as they start to veer off into different kinds of toys. That'll probably happen eventually. But yeah, and it's it's there to some degree. Like my son definitely prefers you know playing with cars and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but he's very much into what my daughter is playing with. So he ends up playing with the dolls and Barbies along with her. Is one of them when when you've got like twins like that? Is one of them uh, like, like my frame of reference for this is more like having pets. So I might be applying the wrong uh, paradigms here. But is one of them like the dominant or the alpha kid? Uh, definitely my daughter. Aha. Uh-huh. My son's actually got uh, a few uh, learning delays, so he's kind of looked up to her, and unfortunately, always gets compared to her, and she's really far advanced. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. makes some difficult situations, but he's coming a long she, way with us. How does she deal with that? Like, is that does she, is she protective towards him? Does she give him a hard a hard time? Like, what is the dynamic with, between them if he's got uh, a bit of a, a learning issue? Um, mostly, she mothers him. She'll go so far as to try to give him timeouts, which is kind of funny. You know, try to discipline him like we would. But uh, they get along really well for the most part. So That's very cool. Uh, and so what do they think? Do, they, do you ever play video games around them? Um, a little bit. So mm-hmm. my son's issues are mostly around fine motor control. So he has some trouble with uh, like a mouse and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, we let him go on some of the online websites for um, some learning activities. Um, I've played a couple of Wii games with my daughter. And uh, actually, just the other day, I got an iPad um, that uh, is actually really good for my son because he can play with uh, the direct touch a lot better than with a mouse. Man, I keep hearing about how kids love iPads. Yeah, it's it's a pretty great uh, tool for them. Now, don't you cringe when they use it because you're worried that they're going to like treat it like some sort of a Fisher-Price thing and drop it on the floor? Or are well, kids I, more I, graceful than that? 
No, they're not. But uh, <laughs> they're, they're not allowed to play with it without uh, me and my wife holding it with them. Ah, right, right. So. Sort of a backup system. Uh, right. right. <laughs> uh, so uh, you guys are all up there in Wisconsin. Uh, you didn't grow up there, but you're from that area, right? You, yep. you said you... I grew up. I grew up in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. That's uh, for all. In, let me just throw out my my West Coast prejudice. For all intents and purposes, that's Wisconsin, right? Uh, pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, set uh, me straight. What's the difference between Wisconsin and Minneapolis? Uh, Climate-wise, really not that much. A lot of okay. people think Minnesota's or Minneapolis area is colder and they get more snow, but I think I actually get more snow here in Milwaukee. I don't know if it's just the way the jet stream goes or it's the lake effect snow from uh, Lake Michigan. But temperature-wise and seasons, it's pretty similar. Can you tell a person from Minnesota from a person from Wisconsin? They're not that different. Okay. So. Now you- I, also, I also lived in Illinois for a few years, too, so I have that perspective as well. Can you tell a person from Illinois from a person from Wisconsin or Minnesota? Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's the state. Oh, my God. I can't believe. See how practical <laughs> I am? I'm like, you people in flyover country are just confusing. That's right. uh, um, can, so are the are folks from Illinois, because they've got Chicago there, are they more sort of urbane and worldly and cosmopolitan? Not necessarily. I would say um, you know, people from Chicago, you might uh, a little more of a big city attitude. Mm-hmm. But I was actually, when I was in Illinois, I lived in Rockford, Illinois, which is just kind of a, a medium-sized city, which uh, a lot of people affectionately call the armpit of Illinois. <laughs> uh, were you there for a while? Um, I moved there right before eighth grade, and I was there through high school. And then I moved up here to the, Mil- to the uh, Milwaukee area for college. And uh, got out of college and just decided to stick around? Yep. Uh, got a job kind of through contacts I'd made through working during college and just ended up staying here. How did you meet Kate? Uh, through a mutual friend during my senior year of college. Oh, wow. You've known her that long. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Uh, were you, did you guys go through the whole we're just friends thing in college, or did you start dating her right off the bat? Uh, we just started dating right away. She actually went to a different school than me, and it was she lived in the Madison area, so that's uh, it's about an hour away from where I am. Kind of the long distance kind of thing for a while, yep. right? So we were shuttling back and forth a lot for that first year or so until she uh, till she moved in. Where did you ask her to marry you? Uh, just at our house. Nothing fancy. Come on, don't give me that. It's it true. Must, did you guys like just discuss it beforehand? Was it that kind oh, of like it, a mutual thing, or did you surprise her? Uh, no, she knew it was coming, and we had talked about it for a long time, so it was fairly low key. And she gives me crap about it all the time. <laughs> did you? You? I think you squandered some major brownie points that you could have earned there, Mike. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what does you obviously, because of course you're on the forum like me, like the rest of us, you're obviously in a lot of video games. Uh, what does Kate think of the fact that you are a big old dork just like the rest of us? Um, she mostly puts up with it. Mm-hmm. Her uh, main problem is uh, you know, how much money I throw at these random hobbies. But uh, Now you do, you do use the thing like, but honey, I could be out drinking at bars, and that's much more expensive, and I'd be right. out later. You, I hope you know better. You know enough to roll that one out, yeah. Right, of course. You know, I, okay. one night out is two video games. <laughs> and if, you know, like if you were like into a fancy car or something, or uh, I, I don't know what else can dudes be into? Expensive clothes. You know, it could be much worse. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, now, uh, I, I want to give you a hard time about 
some serious nerddom in just a minute. But but earlier you mentioned that Kate has her own uh, predilection. Well, she's had a she has she's had a situation with video games in the past. Uh, you mentioned one specific one that she got into pretty heavily. Tell us about Kate's uh, familiarity with geekdom. Yeah, when I first met her, I had, uh, you know, she had a computer she mostly used for, you know, word processing in America Online. And I got her set up with a roller coaster tycoon. Mm-hmm. And after that, every time I would visit her, she would be sitting there playing it. <laughs> then it got to the point where she'd get up in the morning, grab a bowl of cereal, and play roller coaster tycoon until it's time to go to work. <laughs> So she uh, really got into that game. She likes those Sim kind of games. She played a little Sim City later, but mostly it was a uh, roller coaster tycoon. Now that's a great game. I mean, no matter how you cut it, though, that is a great game. Oh yeah, that was great. Now would she play it like seriously, like as a challenging thing, or did she just like the sandbox aspect? Like, oh she, no, she was, was she trying to solve all those scenarios. Uh, scenarios. Yep. Ah, right. Some of those are pretty insidious. Mm-hmm. Uh, has she had any incidences of recidivism where she goes back to roller coaster tycoon? A couple years back, she played some Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. She never really cared for that one as much. That was the one that was uh, starting to use a 3D engine where you could kind of rotate things around. It wasn't uh, tile-based anymore. Yep. And she had some issues with that where you'd be you know, building a ride and run into some geometry problems or that kind of thing. So lately it's been on to The Sims. So have you considered putting Sims Medieval in front of her? I actually told her about that, and she kind of said, eh, maybe I'd be interested, but... Uh, have not actually gone ahead and bought it yet. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's my uh, that's my tip. If you need to, uh, like, if you need to get some time off for like D and D or something, which I have to give you some grief for. <laughs> if you show her Sims Medieval, I bet she'd get into it. And then you could say things like, "But you know, if you like want to stay out and play D and D one night, you could say to her, but you've been playing Sims Medieval, so I just right. want to throw that out there as, right. as an option.' It's a good tip." Uh, all right, so let's talk about this. I've not played Dungeons and Dragons like a- a- off of a computer. You know, I've played Neverwinter Nights, Baldur's Gate. You know, I've played Dungeons and Dragons related products, but actual Dungeons and Dragons where you roll a die and you write down your strength, your dexterity, your constitution, all that stuff. I haven't touched that stuff since caught. You know, at once in graduate school, but since yeah. then. So you now, now, Mike, you're an adult. I am. You are still playing Dungeons and Dragons on pen and paper. I am. You're Pretty sitting sure. around a table and you're talking in ye old English, like uh, to, no, the, to that's, your dungeon master. So <laughs> don't lie, don't lie. Come on, your dungeon master says, "Okay, you come into the tavern. What do you say to the barkeep?" And you guys do stuff like that, and you go, "I say to the barkeep, hey, oh, yon fellow." <laughs> you guys do that stuff or not? That's Just up. not. Without the accents. <laughs> <laughs> so I am giving you a hard time because I kind of I, I respect that you guys can still do that and can still enjoy that. Tell me a bit about what it's like playing Dungeons & Dragons now as an adult. I presume you did when you were a kid as well, right? I did. I started probably in my early high school years. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's just kind of kept on going. There were some years I lapsed in there. But I've always been doing some sort of gaming or another. Mm-hmm. You know, I did some brief stints into Warhammer and some other things. With miniatures, uh, you mean? Oh, yeah. Okay. Painted miniatures and all. Hmm. Um, recent years, it's been more board games, but we've kind of had this, you know, one or two times a month. We'll get together and play a role-playing game of some sort. Um, most frequently, it's been D&D, but there's been other games we've played and been playing, too. Now, you mentioned Warhammer, and so this I can understand Warhammer because part of what 
I think I would still appreciate about tabletop D&D, pen and paper D&D, is the, the tactical combat element of it. Mm-hmm. And Warhammer, I could see totally tapping into that. When you guys play D&D, is it more than just the cool tactical combat stuff? I mean, I presume it's there's a sense of exploration, working with the dungeon master, like all of that stuff. Is that intact from when you played, like when you were a kid? Uh, it is. Um, you know, it's probably, you know, 50-50 between the tactical aspect and then the, you know, story development and puzzle mm-hmm. solving and exploration kind of angles. Now, do you, do, you, uh, do you DM or are you a player? I'm a player. So I, me- I have run games before, but not D&D. Just some, I used to run a Call of Cthulhu game. Uh, I want to hear about that in a second, but tell me about okay. your DM. Who is your DM? Um, he's a guy I used to work with uh, maybe five, six years ago. So he's uh, also an adult, older than me, in fact, who uh, who runs our game. So we go and to did, his house every couple weeks. Does he do his own? Does he make his own modules, or is he running stuff that uh, that's that's pre-made? Um, he's using a pre-made campaign setting, uh, and then kind of pieces together a lot of pre-published stuff, and then kind of embellishes it with his own. Would I know the campaign setting? Is it uh, like a familiar one? Um, it's kind of known in the uh, the uh, RPG. Uh, geek universe. It's called Tolus, which is spelled P-T-O-U-L P-T-O-L-U-S. How would you describe uh, it? Like, what, what's its distinguishing characteristic? It's basically a huge city. Just, uh, I think it was described if you took D&D to its logical extremes of how a city would develop. Mm-hmm. Lots of magic and weird races around and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy named Monty Cook, who's a big uh, writer for uh, D&D and role-playing games, came up with it here. Maybe it might have been 10 years ago now. It's this giant book that uh, at uh, some conventions they used to hold contests where people had to hold the book out in front of them. And the last person holding it out in front of them got a <laughs> copy because <laughs> it's, it's like 500 pages. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and when you guys play, like I presume you've got you've got the same characters you've been playing for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, is leveling fast or slow when you're playing tabletop? Uh um, it's usually, I'd say every maybe three, four sessions you go up a level. So at our rate of play of once or twice a month, it's a couple months. That that seems glacial. And as a guy who plays computer games and is like real concerned with pacing issues, does does that feel slow? Do you do you kind of are you are you champing at the bit to go up levels and get loot and stuff, or am I just applying computer game thinking to you guys pen and paper game? Um, it's. It's not as bad. It kind of makes you enjoy the going up a level more because, mm-hmm. you know, you've been kind of working at it and you finally got there. Uh, but kind of holding you over in the meantime is getting more loot and new items and just the uh, story developing. And how many of you guys tend to be playing uh, when you have a session? Uh, if everyone's there, we have five players. Wow. That sounds like a lot. I mean, that sounds yep. like a lot of cat herding. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, it, is it easy to sort of keep five players focused and into the game? Um, it, we do pretty well, uh, when at, we're at the sessions, the biggest trouble is just scheduling, you know, cause everyone, right. a lot of us have kids now and stuff. So yep. getting that all lined up and everyone there, you know, you more often than not, one person's missing. Okay, Mike, I'm going to ask you something deeply, deeply personal. All right. What is your character's name? It is Aether Felvas, which is a elven name. It's not nearly as bad as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> It's actually kind of cool. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you guys have another session planned? Uh, yeah, we're next one is a week from Friday. 
Very cool. Uh, and and actually, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about this. Aren't you guys in the birthplace of D and D? Wasn't Gary yeah, it was actually. Yep, it was near there, near here in uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is just uh, a little bit south of this uh, Milwaukee area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in addition to D and D, wait, actually, so do you guys use lead figures? Uh, no. Well, a lot of times we use. Um, they have these pre-painted plastic ones now. We just kind of throw those out because no one has the time to paint anymore. So it's uh, just kind of the pre-made ones that are made in China. Now, when we used to play, I, I had a great uh, a mat that I would roll out, and we had erasable markers, and the mat had like a, a grid on it. And you would draw out yep. the stuff. And uh, do you guys use something like that? We use that exact thing. How much does one of those cost these days? Do you know? Like uh, 25 30 bucks. And and uh, so do you have you have a grid? You have little pre-painted miniatures. Does D and D? I can't believe I'm asking this. Still use all the dice? Like, do you need a D four when you play these days, or is everything on a D twenty? Oh no, you need, still need all the dice. Although um, they've kind of shifted it, so you need the D twenty more than anything else. But everything else is used to one degree or another. Where? Here's another deeply, deeply personal question, Mike. You ready for this? Yep. Where in what do you keep your dice? Like what 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 container? I used to have a little deerskin bag with a a, a carved elephant on it that my mother gave me, and that's where I kept my dice. Where do you keep your dice? I have a little uh, fake leather bag I got that was uh, originally had some sunglasses in it. It's mm-hmm. nothing uh, nothing too fancy. I don't understand people who keep their dice in just like those clear plastic boxes. That's just so unglamorous. It has to be something that could maybe pass for like a period thing. Like it has right. to be like a pouch or a, something like that. Uh, the, the stereotypical thing is an old Crown Royal bag. Yes, the, yes. Big purple bags and dump them all. They're <laughs> 10 pounds of dice. Uh, so you guys also, uh, is there any, when you're, when you're setting up times to play D&D, uh, are there some dudes who are just like, no, let's just play a board game? Or is the board game group different from the D&D group? Um, we sometimes will fall back to board games if there are not enough people showing up for the role-playing. Ah, uh, right. But then I have a, another group I do um, board games with just whenever we can get together. That's more my, my college buddies. Uh, what's in heavy rotation in your board gaming right now? Um, let's see. What was the last thing we played? We played a couple Battlestar Galactica a couple times. I keep hearing that this is good. It's a good game. Um, it's one of those ones where one of the players is a traitor. Right, You're right. trying to figure out who it is, so... It's the last one I played like that was uh, oh, I'm going to screw up that I forget the name. It was a King Arthur themed one. Oh rats! What was the name? Oh, uh, Shadows over Camelot. Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, yep. you know, yeah. Uh, so how does Battlestar Galactica compare to Shadows over Camelot? Um, Shadows over Camelot's a lot simpler because it's just got uh, some simple poker mechanics mm-hmm. or gin rummy mechanics, actually doing runs and matches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Battlestar Galactica's got a zillion of cards and you know simulated space combat and all sorts of stuff going on. Now, have you played the uh, Rainer Kinesia uh, co-op Lord of the Rings game? I have not. I've seen it, but I've never played it. Because it strikes me that's sort of like the Euro-elegant co-op game, whereas I hear that this uh, Battlestar Galactica thing is more like the Ameritrash co-op game. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, were you the traitor when you played? Uh, no, I have not been yet. And it's kind of cool because it's got a mechanic where... Um, at the beginning of the game, they hand out all these cards that say if you're, if you're a traitor or not. Mm-hmm. And then halfway through the game, you do it again. So someone may not know they're a traitor until halfway through the game. Oh, that's great. That's kind of like not knowing your side. That, that totally works with the fiction. That's very yep. cool. Yeah, that's oh. cool. Uh, do you know offhand the guy that made 
the Battlestar Galactica game? Is it from someone who has made other games that I might know his work? I'm not sure. I don't okay. remember who designed that. It's from uh, Fantasy Flight Games. They're one of the biggest oh, uh, yeah, board game that, companies right now. Yeah, totally Ameritrash then. Yeah, that's, yep. uh, yeah. Uh, okay, what else is in heavy rotation in your board gaming group? What else have you guys played? Um, let's see, what have we played lately? It's been a while since we actually got together for board games. Um, there's one I want to get that we've been talking about in the board game thread called uh, Mansions of Madness. It's a Call of Cthulhu. The, yeah, the Cthulhu yep. one. So, so you mentioned you ran a Call of Cthulhu campaign, you said I did. earlier. Yeah, I ran uh, a, a published one. Is it the old Chaosium system, or is there a newer Call of Cthulhu um, it, at the time, it was the old Chaosium system. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, they did a D20 version of it. That's actually out of print, which is kind of the D&D rules applied to Cthulhu. Uh, and did did that go over well? It sold pretty well, but they only did one run of it. So now it's uh, it's not super valuable, but people seem they're looking for it. But actually, I meant your campaign. When you ran oh. the game, did, did that work out pretty well? Were you happy yeah, with it? Yeah, it did. I, I liked that, uh, that one a lot. It actually was... It's a classic campaign called uh, Masks of Near Lathotep. Oh my god, yes! I can even yeah. see the cover of that, Mike. Oh yeah, yeah. the big mask on it. <laughs> yes, I can totally see that in my head. Wow! That was, a, that was an awesome campaign because it, uh, it took place in five or six locations around the world and it was completely non-linear. So you could run to whatever country you wanted to and follow clues around. It's I don't know what kind of effort had to go into creating that, but that thing was great. How come there are no great Cthulhu computer games <laughs> why has that never happened i don't know there's been some so-so ones but nothing really super great that one that was on xbox a couple years ago was okay um dark corners of the earth very good i was gonna yep. i was gonna i was gonna strain my brain to see if i can remember the name and i probably wouldn't have been yep. able to pull that out of my hat well done uh, and then uh more recently uh amnesia on uh, steam is actually a very cthulhu esque but not really a cthulhu game now I didn't. Was, I, I only played with that a little bit. Is there any uh, like I know that they're hinting at some darker mystery, and I vaguely remember some of the journal pages. Do, do they invoke anything that's Lovecraftian, or like is there any reference to old ones or anything like that? Is it that blatant, or it's just that style of horror? Uh, to my knowledge, it's just that style, but I haven't really gotten that far in it yet. Okay, so yet another game on my Steam backlog. How big is your backlog? Pretty huge. And the twins probably drove it up, I imagine. Yes, <laughs> I am uh, very susceptible to to game hype in general, so I you know, really want to get in on it and play it for a while, and then I go on to something else. So uh, I want to hear about what you're playing, but first, what is the most recent game that you actually acquired, either uh, purchased new, used, was given to you, whatever? What's your most recent acquisition? Um, well, I'm sitting here waiting for Portal 2 to uh-huh. Steam. Uh-huh. I wondered about that. <laughs> uh-huh. I saw you playing it on PlayStation last night. <laughs> I uh, just, right before we recorded, literally, like 30 minutes before we recorded, finished the single player. I won't say, yeah. I, won't, I won't ruin it for you or anything. But uh, was, it, was it awesome? Um, I, Let me see, how much can, yeah, yeah, the embargo will be lifted. Uh, it's very good. I was disappointed in some things. And again, I, don't, I, I won't spoil anything specifically. Um, but it, it definitely has flashes of brilliance from the first portal, but there were also some stretches that I w- was kind of disappointed in. Uh, ultimately, I have to say, and maybe this is just me being jaded gamer dude, but ultimately I have to say I preferred the first portal. Okay. Uh, nice. But, uh, I imagine you haven't tried the co-op yet? I have not tried the co-op. I'm so looking forward to that, though. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's basically half of the package. And right. I don't think this is a spoiler, but... I, I like the way they relate the co-op to the single player, uh, which is to say, 
well, they, they just do a very cool thing where they acknowledge that, you know, these are two separate ways to play the game, but they're related. And they, I, I loved how they did that. Um, and I love, uh, do you, do you know, like the, the, uh, cast like do you know the people who were in it by any chance i don't know if that's a spoiler or um not. the only i know is that uh cave johnson guy right is, uh jk simmons well, other than that a, I, don't, I don't know okay they have an english uh actor named stephen merchant who collaborates with ricky gervais uh oh here's that that uh waitley or whatever in the row it was right? exactly exactly yeah, I, I saw it in one of the movies they published uh, a month or so ago well mike he is freaking brilliant I mean, it is just like uh, – I'm going to screw up her name. I think her name was Ellen McClain, the, the actress who plays uh, Gladys. Mm-hmm. Stephen Merchant in Portal 2 is just fantastic. I just – he is so in tune with the writing that I think Chet Falzak – I can't say Chet's last name. Chet and Eric Wolpaw and I'm forgetting the name of the guy they got. Uh, anyway, there's a third writer. So three writers – Stephen Merchant is so in tune with with the material they they gave him. It's just a, a fantastic collaboration. You know what? I, here I am trying to be all jaded. I have to say I'm I'm kind of jealous that you get to experience Portal Two for the first time. Uh, there, there's some great stuff in there, and boy, there's some good puzzles. So uh, don't don't listen to my reservations. You're gonna have a <laughs> great right. time. And uh, yeah. All right. Yes, so your, your most recent acquisition, Portal Two. Yep. Um, of course, you can't play that until shortly. After I think we stop recording, it'll go live later tonight. By the way, what's I haven't really followed. What's the deal with they had some ARG where it was going to release early and some people yes. are mad because it didn't. What like what's the nutshell of what actually happened there? So they had this whole ARG building up uh, to an announcement on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a, a hint that said something like uh, you know 419 equals 415, and people interpret that as hey they're going to release it on Friday instead of Tuesday. Uh, and instead they came up with this website. That said that people need to play these indie games enough to launch the game early. Okay. So it has all these little bar graphs counting up based on how much people are putting into it. You know, man hours of time. Right. And I'm actually looking at the page right now. It's not quite complete. So the theory is that uh, Valve didn't quite calculate their math right as far as (laughs) participation. (laughs) Because here it is the night before it's supposed to be released and it's still not out. So now, is, it, is it possible that people are misunderstanding the intent of the ARG? Almost, to hear you describe it, it sounds pretty clear. But is there yep. any wiggle room where they could say, no, you guys misunderstood, that's not what we meant? Or is it pretty clear that that's what they were getting at? Well, I mean, that, they even have a banner on this page that says, play these games to release Portal too early. <laughs> but There's not a lot of wiggle room there. You know? <laughs> so, but it's uh, everyone's upset that, you know, we might get it six hours early. <laughs> but, you know, we've been leaving these uh, indie games idling over, you know, overnight and running all day over the weekend for not that really that big of a deal. <laughs> you know, you say not that big of a deal, but I have to say, Mike, the way that that video games have sort of followed in the footsteps of movies in that releases, you know, opening days are a big deal. They're they're hyped. They're anticipated you know, the people who make games and publish games know that we want to be there as soon as they're available. They play to that impulse in us. Uh, you know, I, you say it's not that big a deal, and I appreciate that that sense of perspective, but it's been, it is a big deal, kind of, you know. It's it's a big deal to us, and people who make games know it's a big deal to us, and they, they cater to that. And well, uh, I was definitely interested in getting it early. I mean, I thought that was going to be cool, but, you know, in the morning, I go to work, and uh, I won't really have time to play it till tomorrow night anyway. So for me, it's uh, 
pretty much the same. But you are right. It's one of those things where, you know, this too shall pass and you you will be playing the game and, and it ultimately won't matter whether you get to play it on a Tuesday or a Monday. So, right. right. Yep. Uh, all right. So before we talk about other things you're playing, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned uh, that you and I think you said Kate had even watched it with you. Uh, game of Thrones, also a, a big deal, uh, like the launch of Portal. This Game of Thrones series on HBO just started. Mm-hmm. Um I do not know the books. I don't know much about it other than it's been recommended to me by by several people whose whose taste I trust. I mean, every now and then someone will say, uh, read Wheel of Time. And I, I that doesn't seem like my kind of deal. But people who I think know my taste say, hey, you should really read Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't gotten around to it, but I know the series just started. Uh, and I'm, I'm a little curious about it. I was really excited about some of the people involved, like Peter Dinklage. There's a director named Tom McCarthy who was involved early on. Uh, would you recommend jumping into watching the TV show or holding off until after one has read the books? I guess um, it's hard for me to have perspective on it because I've read the books. Um, mm-hmm. My wife has not, however, and she seemed to enjoy it just fine. I'm, I think it's got kind of a... You know, the first episode of a series issue where it's a little slow, just trying to introduce characters and stuff. But by the end of it, things kind of get rolling, and uh, I think you'd enjoy it. They seem to be doing a very good job capturing the essence of things and kind of keeping the, the plot moving along, moving along. Now, it was, uh, was it a one-hour series premiere? Was it a two-hour movie-length thing? It was uh, one hour, like one in one hour, ten minutes or so. And do you know offhand, because I know the books are, are epic, and there are several of them. Uh, they're huge, long books, which is part of what's deterred me from, from reading them. But, uh, is this season just the first book? Is it part of the first book? Uh, it is, um, just the first book. Okay. So we have 10 episodes to do the first book. And, and having read the first book, does that seem like folly to you to cram this book into 10 hours of TV? I think they can do it. Um, you know, Lord of the Rings managed to do it in a shorter amount of time. You know, <laughs> that's a fair point. Even sure. those are long movies. You know, they got a huge epic story into whatever it was, nine hours of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they can do it, and it's got definitely got things that uh, you know, big events, and it ends pretty well. It's going to leave you wanting to to get to the next check or uh, section of the story in the second season. Were you going to say checkpoint? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you have portal on the brain. I do. <laughs> Is there uh, so the the famous folks? Oh, you know what, Sean Bean, he's in that, isn't he? Yes, yeah, he's the the lead character. Uh, All right. And does it look good? Like it's got to have a it's got to they've got to have a budget for it. I mean, did it look awesome? Yeah, it looks great. I mean, they filmed it. I think it was in Ireland. So the the uh, scenery is great, and the sets are great, Mm -hmm. costumes are great. There's one instance I could kind of see some green screen action going on, but. uh, for the most part, looks very big budget. Now, you mentioned green screen action, but I'd heard that one of the selling points of Game of Thrones was that it doesn't have, like, magic and dragons and all this, like, this this typical fantasy stuff. That it's almost more like a historical drama. Correct. Um, the, the green screen I noticed was when they had a, one of the kid characters up in kind of a dangerous spot. So I think they're just faking the background. Ah, I see. Okay, good. So, But, yeah, it's, it's very low magic uh, in the uh, kind of the setting of the story. Uh, magic is returning to the world. But largely, it's just a, a story about uh, people and their interactions, which is one of the reasons I really like the books. And now the books, uh, a friend of mine was explaining to me recently, the books aren't done, and the writer is fairly old and not in 
fantastic health, so there's some concern that the books will never get done. Is that correct? That that is correct. He's I think in his 60s and uh, not in the best of shape. Um, he just finally announced a release date for the fifth book, which is coming out this summer sometime. Uh, it's June or July. Oh, so he's basically done with it. Well, there's I think there's two more books in the works. Oh, and, <laughs> and this last one took uh, five years to come out. So. Okay, no wonder and, folks are anxious. That actually makes a lot of sense. And what really makes people mad is before the last book came out, he said, you know, I'm almost done with this big book, but it's too big, so I'm going to split it in half and only give you half of the character perspectives. You know, and then we'll have the next book out next year. <laughs> then five years later, the next book comes out, so. Wow, all right. Now, you also watch uh, Fringe. I do. Sell me on Fringe in 25 words or less. Uh, X-Files, but better. Or it's even shorter. Um, it's yeah, very much... I think you have 22 words left. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's X-Files with a really good meta plot that uh, mm-hmm. keeps on developing, and it's turned into this... I mean, they actually succeeded in tying in the Monster of the Week or Weird Occurrence of the Week. Because that was the... Tie, I didn't, tying I didn't, it into the big plot. Right, because I didn't watch a lot of X-Files, but I know that that was the big problem with it, is that they had these cool standalone episodes, and then these really clumsy, ultimately leading nowhere meta episodes. Right. Uh, so you're saying that's something that Fringe manages to pull off very well. Yep. To hear. And okay. uh, the first season was a little deceptive, where you, know, you kind of thought that it was a Monster of the Week or Weird Thing of the Week uh, show, but then you realize that it all tied into this big story that's been going on ever since. So how, they've. How, uh, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, so it's it's really impressed me that they've uh, managed to pull that off. Now, how old is Fringe? How many seasons would I have to catch up with? Uh, let me think. We're in season three, I think. Oh, good lord! All right. How long are yeah. these seasons? Uh, they're full seasons of so twenty-two episodes. Oh, good. That's yeah, this is never going to happen. Oh, well, <laughs> I missed that boat. Okay. <laughs> I'll pick up this Game of Thrones thing, but good lord, right. I didn't know there was that much fringe to watch. I still haven't seen The Wire, so I've got. Oh, that's a me. that's a bigger crime. So you're 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 one of those folks too. You're, who, oh yeah. Okay. You know, Actually, everybody, uh, everybody's seen The Wire. I don't. I I really am a freak there. Uh, it's it's a hard show to convince people to watch because it's very hard to describe why it's good. Right. Most people just say, "Oh, it's a procedural cop drama, huh?" Well, it's David Simon, right? Isn't it? Right. The, yeah. Yep. Well, I I loved Generation Kill and. What else is he known for? Uh, he did Homicide. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've heard about Homicide. I, I haven't seen it, but I, I know of Homicide. Uh, but after after watching Generation Kill, which was much more succinct and, and short, I was like, this guy is amazing. I want to see other stuff he's done. And sure enough, The Wire is the other stuff he's done. So Yeah, I've been trying to get my sister to watch The Wire for, for years. And, and why uh, does it take? Yeah, what's the obstacle there? Um, Just kind of the same. You know, <laughs> she watched one episode and didn't really... Didn't really uh, hooker so um we made a deal she's been wanting me to watch true blood so ah, you have to watch true blood huh? I, I have to watch the first <laughs> season of that and she's watching the first season of the wire and actually i just finished the first season of true blood so and uh do you think do you, i think I, I think she got the better end of this deal i'm sure she did I, true blood's <laughs> it's okay it's definitely no wire uh, I do like Alexander Sarsgaard, who's Stellan Sarsgaard's son, and I know he's in True Blood. I think he's like the main. Uh, yeah, he's, he's one of the, the bad guys. Yeah, uh, I really like that actor. Uh, what little bits I've I've seen. Um, is it Anna Paquin? Yeah, 
She seemed terrible. I was like, oh my yeah, god. Actually, the, so the first time I tried watching this when it first came on, I couldn't stand Anna Paquin. So I just ended up giving up on it. So I've having to, be, having to force myself through an entire season of it, I've kind of gotten used to her. But I still don't <laughs> really like her. Uh, now, I also hear that a girl from, uh, there's a series on stars called Party Down, and an actress named Lizzie Kaplan, who I think is really funny in Party Down. Is, isn't she in True Blood? Or maybe I'm thinking of a different show. I don't know who that is, so I'm not sure. Okay, uh, but that that's another, uh, I haven't, yeah, I, so I, I, besides the whole uh, Twilight thing, like I sort of mentally lump in True Blood with Twilight as one of those sort of like wimpy vampire Johnny-come-lately mythology things right. that people just want no part of. Uh, <laughs> and, and so has your sister kept her into the bargain? Is she, is she yeah, watching? she just finished season one of The Wire and she's liking it too, so. So she's so good, right? Yep. Okay, so enough about this extra stuff. Let's get into some serious video gaming things. So, right. wait, Portal, got a backlog. Uh, what have you played uh, lately? The thing I've been working on the most lately is uh, Divinity 2, which is a uh, RPG. Now, so, okay, I there, there was a dragon riding game. That's not Divinity. I forget what that one was called. Like, I kind of lump it in with, like, with like Gothic and Divinity and uh, this dragon riding one and... And uh, even Sacred, which I did play. Sacred was just a straight-up RPG like Diablo. Mm-hmm. Where does Divinity fall in this? Um, it's probably closest to something like Gothic. And there is dragon stuff in it. You actually get to uh, become a dragon later in the game. and kind of You can shapeshift between uh, uh, human and uh, dragon. Does Divinity 2 have a subtitle? Like Divinity 2? Um, there's The original game was called Ego Draconis. And ah, then yes. they came out with a, kind of a redo and expansion pack called... Uh, Dragon Knight Saga. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I'm playing. Okay, and I think, and this just came out for the 360. I th- I don't know if it's out for 360 or not. Uh, I've been playing it on PC for quite a while. Okay, I'm probably f- like 45 or 50 hours into it. So it's obviously working for you. Yeah, I'm liking it a lot. Um, I tend to favor RPGs more more than other games, but mm-hmm. they really need to be pretty good to get their hooks into me. What is Divinity 2 doing that other RPGs don't necessarily do for you? Um. It's got a, a fair amount of freedom. Um, you know, it's not fully open world like something like Oblivion, uh, but it's got these areas that are very large, things to just find on your own. You know, secret passages and caves that have nothing to do with the main plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got uh, fairly good um, quests that are you know more than just FedEx stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them have little twists. Um, By the way, I just want to say that that whole you talking about like it may not be open world, but finding these little secret areas. Uh, mm-hmm. That's huge to me too. Boy, I understand the appeal of that. Where you come across something, and you think, "Wow, I was not led to this. I found right. this on my own." Uh, yep, it's, it makes it worth it to explore the whole area. Yep. It gives you this yeah. sense of like ownership. Like you know, the developers, they didn't have to put this in my way. You know, this is this is mine. I got this. I discovered it. It's like Columbus. It's, it's like discovering America. It's like discovering your own continent and putting your little flag of ownership. Right. Right. On it. Uh, so, okay, so it's got that. You're digging the quest. You said it, mm-hmm. it breaks that sort of stale FedEx mold sometimes. Good. Yep. Um, it's got a lot of uh, options as far as how you build your character. There's, you know, mage stuff, ranger, fighter. It's and a single can... character game? It's not a party? Correct. Okay. And you can uh, mix and match all the skills between these things as much as you want. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of customize your character. Um, and then it does a pretty good job of making you feel like, you know, superhuman in some ways because, uh, you know, you eventually become... Your guy can turn into a dragon, but you can also mind read anyone in the game, 
What does so that you do? To, you have to give up experience points. There's a little button there, conversation trees. It'll tell you whatever they're thinking. So sometimes people are thinking nothing important at all. Sometimes they'll remember where they hit a key to unlock some chest of theirs. Uh, sometimes they'll give you a quest. I mean, there's all sorts of cool stuff that you can get out of the mind reading. So I end up wasting all my experience, point, my experience points uh, mind reading everyone in the game. That's awesome. So you're basically buying little, uh, like, dialogue options, kind of. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, the, the other cool thing that they do is, you know, if someone says, you know, I hid the key from my chest in the barn, the key won't be there. You can't even find it until you do this mind read on someone. Ah, right. So it's unlocking parts of the world. Yeah. Right. They're, yep. they're not going to just let you get that on your own. Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, are you, you said you put, a, did you save like 40 hours into it? 40 to 50, somewhere in there. I'm, I'm nearing the end of the main game and then there's an expansion. Although I'll probably uh, take a little break after I get to the end of the main game. Now, how does the turning into a dragon work? Because it seems like I can imagine that breaking a game if they don't do it well. How do they deal with that? So um, when you change into a dragon, um, most of the stuff on the ground is gone, so you're fighting just aerial stuff, and all the enemies that would normally be on the ground aren't there until you land and change back. Because oh, okay. They, I think they did that just for, for that very reason, because otherwise you'd just be strafing everything and taking it out. And then there's also some areas where you can't turn into a dragon. Um, there's little, you know, I don't know, there's little artifacts that prevent you from changing or whatever, and then you can sometimes end up disabling those so you can actually do it later. Does that stuff work for you? Yeah, it's you know it's it the it's a little bit of a you gotta accept the convention just for balance reasons. Sure. Um, and I prefer the ground stuff, but it's it's cool, uh, especially just for exploring a level. Um, they did a lot of level design specifically knowing you'd be uh, in dragon form, so it's you know all these cliffs and ravines and stuff that you can't possibly do if you're on foot. So I'm gonna assume. Correct me if I'm wrong. This game was made in Germany. Was I close? Uh, I believe it is. Yes. <laughs> Now, what led you to this and not something like Gothic or uh, one of those other games instead? Um, Gothic, I actually have tried. Um, they never really grabbed me. Um, I think I played the first one a decent amount. And I think I picked up two or three on a Steam sale that I never really tried. Um, and I had played the first Divinity game years and years ago. Um, it was actually called Divine Divinity at the time. That really dumb name that the publisher posed on them. I do remember that. Yes, yes, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the company that made it, Larian, really didn't like the name, but uh, whoever published it enforced that on them. <laughs> it's kind of funny if you go to their forums and you type out Divine Divinity, it'll actually substitute your text so it just says Divinity. <laughs> <laughs> they rebuke the name, very nice. Right. <laughs> uh, that one was more of a, is almost like a uh, Diablo in perspective, although it was also a very open game with lots to explore. You know, you actually, Mike, that's exactly why I think I lump it in with games like Sacred uh, and wondered if it was like an open, like, like an action RPG. It's because I remember, I think, just messing around with the early parts of Divinity. Uh, yeah. That was a good game, too. That was many, many years ago. Right. Uh, did you play Sacred by any chance? Um, I want to say I played a demo of it, but not the full one. Or maybe I played it at a friend's house, but not to any real extent. Do you like action RPGs? Um, I like, uh, you know, I played through Diablo and Diablo 2, um, and then recently I played some Torchlight. Not a ton, but uh, I, I do like them. It's kind of mindless to me, though. Sounds like, yeah, like you dig more of the story-based stuff. Yep, definitely. Uh, all right, well, then a, a couple i got to ask you about. Uh, Dragon Age? Uh, the first Dragon Age I played a lot of, and then I got kind of bored of the combat and really never went back to. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, which is strange because I really like Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2. Mm-hmm. You know, those are some of my favorite games. And uh, I don't know what it is about Dragon Age, but the combat got really kind of... I think it was more of a, a, a poor ratio of exploration to combat. Yep. Dragon Age was almost all combat, whereas yep. you know, large portions of Baldur's Gate 2, you're just wandering a city and looking around. So you haven't played Dragon Age 2, then? I have not. I played yeah, the demo I, and kind of dismissed it. Yeah, I bet you would hate that. Like, if that whole ratio of combat to exploration is important to you. Like, I, I think of Dragon Age 2, the appeal of that for me, uh, and I enjoyed it, was as a tactical combat game. You know, we talked about D&D earlier. Uh, I can imagine sitting down at a, ta- at a tabletop game playing it for the combat, uh, and I couldn't care less about story or exploration. Right. <laughs> so Dragon Age 2 kind of catered to that for, for me. Uh, yeah. All right, so then let me ask you about this one, then. Uh, were you one of those Mass Effect dudes? I did like both Mass Effect games. All right. I know you didn't really care for the second one, right? Uh, yeah, I did not. Uh, yeah, I remember reading that. Uh, so, but, so, uh, that, no, that's sci-fi. So, well, you know what, you're, you, so you're, you're into, like, sci-fi. It's not like you're just, like, fantasy. Oh, no, I kind of am all over the map. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Same with uh, game genres. I play kind of a little bit of everything. Now, everybody who says that has at least one or two genres that they can't stand uh, or that they won't touch. Where no. do you draw the line? Sports games. Now, there must be some exception. Have you ever played Beach Spikers Volleyball on the GameCube? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. Virtua Tennis on the Sega Dreamcast? Nope. Mm, okay. Uh, Wii Golf? Uh, I played the uh, golf game that comes with uh, Wii Sports. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Wii Sports, Cold <clears throat> Golf, yep. or whatever. There you go. Okay. So that's. Uh, and did you loathe it? Um, it was kind of a neat tech demo. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's as far as you go with sports games. Yep, All right. right. Uh, have you ever played a UFC or MMA game? No, never. <laughs> what about race NASCAR? Are you into NASCAR? I am not. All right. As far as racing games, uh, you know, I've played, like, I like the Burnout games. Yeah, that's uh, not I think that's more more simulation. I don't really like. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am told as a guy who likes real time strategy games that sometimes I should try a soccer game. Have you ever played a soccer game? Probably not since my Commodore sixty four days. <laughs> now you guys up in Wisconsin, y'all have hockey, right? That's more of a Minnesota thing. That's uh, really big in Minnesota, but there's some of it here. So you've never played a, a hockey game? Not in recent years. Uh, I remember playing. Uh, was it Slapshot on my Commodore 64? Give that some playback in uh, my early uh, development years. Okay, but these days that's not... So you don't have any sports games in your backlog? I don't think I have a single sports game on my Steam list. <laughs> what about Tiger Woods Golf? Uh, those I have played in recent years, but not... That's probably been three or four years. I actually so. like golf games. Have you ever played Hot Shots Golf on the PSP? Uh, I don't think so. But Tiger Woods, I you know I've played a decent amount in the past. That's that might be the one kind of sports game I've I don't mind playing. Now what's what is it about? Because I'm the same I'm the same as you, Mike. I don't I don't get sports. I'm not into them. But but I love golf games. Like I and I, all the way back to like the Lynx games. Oh yeah, I remember those games. I, yeah, and I, I don't like sports. I don't I don't even like golf. I can't imagine watching golf. I don't know anything about it. But I I love a good computer golf game. What, yeah, what is I think it about it's, that? It's, it's nice and relaxed. Um, you know, it's pretty much turn-based instead of any kind of action thing. <laughs> Very well put. Very yeah. well put. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you played a recent Tiger Woods? Are there any of those recently that are that are good? I don't think I've played one since the PlayStation 2 era. 
um, when at the time I was working at a, a small startup and uh, we had a projector and on Fridays we'd fire up Tiger Woods there. So uh, right. Fun. Yeah, I have not I have not played golf in a while, but uh, for for whatever reason, even though I couldn't care less about sports, I I, I can dig into a, a golf game. Uh, all right. All right. Well, the game that we are going to talk about that you brought up as your game of choice is really old. I can't imagine it's any fun anymore. It's probably ugly, and it does all kinds of things that I'm. I want to bring up that I think we all now hate about video games. <laughs> all right. So defend your choice about why on earth you would want to, to bring up Wing Commander as a game that, that you would want to talk about. Well, first and foremost, Wing Commander was my very first PC game. Ah. Uh, prior to that, I had been a Commodore 64 and Amiga guy, and that was the game that got me to switch over to the uh, the dark side of the uh, the clone uh, <laughs> The clone PC systems. Um, so you did that whole. So so I imagine you're at that point where you had your Commodore 64 and you hear about this great PC game called Wing Commander, right? And you're like, I have to get a PC now, right? Well, this is this is from my Amiga. So my Amiga, you know, I was into the uh, kind of religious wars of how great the Amiga is compared to PCs <laughs> and all that back in the day. And then, uh, you know, I was starting to realize I needed a, a PC for school. And then I saw Wing Commander. I was like, whoa. I don't have anything like this on my Amiga. Now, did you actually see the game in action, or did you hear about it, or read about it, or see screen? Um, my brother at the time had a, a computer for college, and I saw it on there. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of convinced me to start getting on that on my own. And then uh, that was soon followed by a purchase of a Sound Blaster, so I could have decent sound for it mm-hmm. back in those days. And um, this is Wing Commander 1, right? Yes, yeah, the very first one. Mm-hmm. So and at the you know and I actually recently fired up Wing Commander in DOSBox just to see how terrible it looks and it's it's not pretty. <laughs> I can imagine that must have been kind of painful. Did you kind of feel like oh I should have just left this in my memory? Oh no. Okay. Oh. And then uh, you know at the time it was really impressive. You know this is before 3D cards or any kind of stuff. It's all just running off your your CPU. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always had an affinity for uh, flight sim games, or excuse me, space sim games. Uh, ever since Wing Commander, those have been one of my favorites. And unfortunately, that's kind of a, a lost genre these days. Now, now, do you? So, how old would you have been? Do you know offhand? Like your older um, brother is in college. He's got a computer that runs Wing Commander. So what, you're in high school, I guess. Yeah, let's see. Wing Commander came out in '90, uh, so I would have been about 15, 16. And that a 15 or 16 year old seeing Wing Commander, I mean, that must have just blown your mind, right? Oh yeah, that, you know, just. You know, if if you think back to those those days, many things weren't in first person. So seeing yourself in a, uh, a cockpit, ah, right, shooting stuff was just really impressive. Because you know what, I remember seeing Empire Strikes Back and the scene where they're flying around in the uh, in the asteroid field, and then really wanting to go play asteroids. You know, because that was the the analog back then, the little right. top down view of the ship. But the real recreation of that. The, you know what we saw as kids in that movie was in something like Wing Commander. You have to be inside the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so your your brother had it. Was he like? Do you remember offhand? Was he? Would he like let you play it? Like, why did you feel like you need? You couldn't just play it on your brother's computer. I believe he was home for uh, summer from college, and I was playing uh-huh. it. And then after he was going away, uh, had to get it myself. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and at the time, I actually worked at uh, a Babbage's store, 
That was uh, GameStop before they went evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, then Wing Commander 2 came out shortly thereafter, and I've kind of been a, a fan of the series ever since. Now, uh, let's talk briefly about Wing Commander 1, because I think what it, it was full motion video. Was it 3 that got into the full Correct. motion? Correct. 3 was okay. the first. So, um, Wing Commander 1 was just straight up combat. It did have um, a little, had some story in it. You could name your guy, and there were um, other people talked around the station between uh, between missions. Mm-hmm. Um, just told with uh, text on the screen, kind of real simple animation. Um, and then Wing Commander 2 added in speech, but only if you paid for it, you had to buy a speech pack. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, that's, that was uh, like an, the add-ons before their time. Uh, right. And uh, that was... I think one of the earliest uh, games with voiceover in it, because you know at the time Origin was always kind of pushing the envelope on technology mm-hmm. for, for games. Um, and then, you know, at the time I had thought that Wing Commander 2's voiceover stuff was just the coolest thing ever, and I fired that up in DOSBox recently. <laughs> Boy, is the acting terrible! <laughs> <laughs> now I went Wing Commander One, if I'm not mistaken, that was the one. So the guy had like blue hair, right? Yes, yeah, and, one and two. And wasn't there also a famous, I'm just seeing in my head, uh, sort of a famous cutscene before every mission of, like, feet running down a corridor or something? Oh, yeah, they'd have, like, the, the music um, swelling up and then uh, some you know, little red clacks on, and then uh, you'd see the feet running down the stairs and over to the ship, cockpit closing, and then uh, right into the launch tube there. Because this, and this, I remember at the time thinking that it was really cool because you know cutscenes now I think are widely reviled or loathed or, or whatever. Like I, I think cutscenes now are, are much more awkward when it does that whole thing where it's completely divorced from the gameplay and you're just sitting there watching a little cartoon or, or whatever. But back then, I just remember how awesome that was seeing everybody running to their ships. Like now, yep. 20 years later, with 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 video gaming. I want no part of that. But back then, man, that was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, that's some of the things I really liked about the Wing Commander games over the years is the cutscenes and the story and how that all develops. Hmm. And there's, you know, some decent characters you get to actually care about. And, you know, if one of your wingmen died, it was a big deal because they'd no longer be in the cutscenes. That's right. Like, did they did they kill someone in Wing Commander uh, 1? Um, well, people could die just in the course of a mission. Some of the more plot-critical ones were basically invincible. They'd always eject. But, uh, yeah, there were people who died, and some of the kind of non-important characters would just disappear after they died from the uh, from the game. Uh, and now they had those cat people, or the kill The Kilrathi. They were the enemy of the first three games. Okay. Uh, and then weren't they just kind of rip-offs? Or not rip-offs, I mean, basically homages or whatever to... Weren't there these cat people called, like, the Kazin or something in... Is it Larry Niven? Uh, I might. I'm taxing the limits of what I know about sci-fi. Do you know about any of this? I don't. I don't okay. know of them being a rip-off of anything. I'm but sure anyway, it's possible. So there were these. There were these. These sort of fierce cat warriors, the Kazinti. They were the bad guys. But now was Hobbs in the first Wing Commander? There was one of them who was like friendly, right? Yeah, and I. I don't remember, but he might have showed up to Wing Commander two. Okay. And this obviously. Like, like this is after Calvin and Hobbes. This is obviously a reference to Calvin and Hobbes, isn't it? It's actually a reference to uh, Thomas Hobbes, the philosopher, which incidentally is what Calvin and Hobbes is a reference to also. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they explain that in the game? No, I, I read that in, uh, I don't know, somewhere on Wikipedia or something, but um, okay. it had more to do with him saying kind of philosophical-type quotes from, from 
from uh, time to time. <laughs> so you have a philosopher warrior, uh, yep. starship pilot, cat. Good. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, and what about Admiral Tolwyn? Was he in the first? Like, was he there all along as like your your commanding officer, dude? I believe he's been there since the very beginning, uh, up through the end of four. So. When they make him a bad guy, if I'm not mistaken, is that right? Correct. Four is where he's a bad guy. Now, can you actually, Mike, do you remember, like, plots for Wing Commanders? Because all I remember are these little bits and pieces that I'm mentioning. Like, could you tell me, for instance, what the plot of Wing Commander 3 is? I could, because I played that just last year. Ah. Um, three and Why? four. I've, um, I had, you know, I have a machine here I keep around just for old games. And I really, uh, it's one I've you know had fond memories of, so I wanted to see how it held up. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, it wasn't too bad. You know, the graphics aren't awesome, but I still enjoyed the story and you know Mark Hamill and uh, what's his name Biff from Back to the Future, Tom oh, Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That guy's a good actor, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so and uh, and then I also fired up four fairly recently just to see uh, if I could even get it running on my new machine, and surprisingly, I could <laughs> on a Windows Seven machine. Can you talk much about how the the games progressed in terms of the gameplay? Mm-hmm. So, um, one and two were, you know, very sprite-based. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was 3D, but really it's just kind of faking it. Uh, whereas three was the first one that went to 3D models, but it was before 3D cards existed. Mm-hmm. So it was very demanding on uh, your computer. So it um, needed a real beefy computer. I remember upgrading just for that purpose. Um, but the gameplay itself has just kind of evolved um, as far as complexity. Um, I believe three or four started adding power management so you could change between shield and armor and stuff during combat. Uh, three added a little bit of um, inertial systems. So while you're flying, you could turn, hit a button, and you keep going the direction you are originally going. Mm. It made uh, combat kind of interesting at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the three and four both got into some capital ship stuff where you're doing... Uh, either escorting them or doing some bombing runs on them as well. Did any of them do any sort of branching storyline stuff or optional missions, or were they all pretty much mission one, two, three, four, all the way to the end? Actually, um, Wing Commander 1 and 2 were extremely... uh, They had big, huge mission trees. Um, I dug through my books here today and pulled out the Prima Wing Commander 1 and 2 strategy guide here, just because I had it lying around. There's a... (laughs) There's uh, actually eight different systems you can uh, end up at the end at the very end of the game of Wing Commander One, so it's got this whole tree starting in one system, and whether or not you do uh, good or bad, it goes to two more systems, and from there it's to you know two of each of those, uh, and then you could kind of get back on the good path or the bad path. And so you could go through the entire game, and you'd only have seen maybe a third of it. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool in that regard. Um, they got away that away from that a little bit in three and four because it was so uh, full motion video heavy. Uh, but they did have some branching in it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and famous people, so we have Mark Hamill, we have Tom Wilson, uh, Malcolm McDowell is Admiral Tolwyn. Right, and uh, Ginger Lynn of adult fame was in Wing Commander 3. Yeah, not familiar with her. Don't know who that is. <laughs> Never uh, even heard of her. Right. Huh. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> uh, and what were the movies like in three playing it again was it was it ridiculous was it kind of cool i mean we all know that chris roberts went on to do an actual wing commander movie which i've never seen but i've heard stinks yeah uh, i've never seen that either because <laughs> i also heard it was pretty bad but you um, did replay three so how was 
Chris Roberts as a director in three? How are those cutscenes? They're not awesome, but um, you know, from at the time when I first saw them, it was just the most amazing thing I've ever seen because it was you know an interactive movie at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and as these movies play along, you get choices in dialogue. Uh, usually, it's just a binary choice, but it could actually affect things, um, like which uh, which girl you ended up in a relationship with. No, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. There were there was romancing yes. long before Bioware's like long before Dragon Age and Mass Effect. There was romancing in Wing Commander. There was Wing Commander three. Well, actually, in two, there was a development with one of the characters, but that was just kind of scripted. There was no choice involved. Um, but then in three, you kind of got your pick of uh, one of the other uh, pilots or the uh, the mechanic who worked on the ships. That was played by Ginger Lynn. Holy cats, that is awesome. I guess I'd forgotten about that. That is great. Wow. And, and now, then, go ahead. And then the, the impact of it was whoever you picked had a negative effect from the one you didn't pick. So if you picked Ginger Lynn, the mechanic, the uh, the other girl, uh, I think her call sign was Flint, she wouldn't fly with you anymore, so she was no longer available as a wingman. Uh-huh. And then if you picked Flint instead of uh, Ginger Lynn's character, I can't remember her name, um, you could no longer customize your ship loadout, so you couldn't pick which <laughs> missiles it had or which ship you wanted. She wouldn't let you have the computer. That right away, I, I have to say, Mike, is ten times cooler than anything in Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Like, I so couldn't care less about the, the silly romances in Bioware's games. Uh, I love the fact that you have to sacrifice a gameplay mechanic based on which, which woman you choose in Wing right. Commander. <laughs> and if you, if you picked neither of them, both bad effects happened. <laughs> Well, that's a bachelor's life for you. There you go. <laughs> uh, how is Mark Hamill? Um, he's Mark Hamill, about the same as you'd expect. All right. Well, he's uh, so, you know, I ask because he's so good. It's just voice work. But but playing the DC Universe Online in, in Arkham Asylum, I'm just so struck by what a great Joker he does. Oh, yeah. I, I never can believe that's actually him. I know. I can't either. I think um, somebody is tricking us. Uh, I think that might be an urban legend because I cannot imagine him doing that. Maybe if I were to see footage of him doing the voice, I would believe it. Um, <laughs> yep. But so that's why I ask about Wing Commander. Like he's he's uh, y- you don't see a hint of the genius voice acting that would go into the Joker in the Wing Commander games. Right. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it uh, basically looks like him playing Luke Skywalker. It's not really that much different. Well, and you can imagine that's probably precisely why you know they hired him. Right Back then, you know, to get that kind of cachet in your full motion video uh, for for vid- a video game, you know, what was it? There was a there was a one FMV game had like uh, Rob Schneider, like <laughs> that was like a really. <laughs> I don't remember like which a, one that was. It, was. it was Fork in the Tail, and that was a big deal when you get Rob <laughs> Schneider in your game. So if you want to trump that, by golly, you get Luke Skywalker. Uh, so. Wow. <laughs> now, how frustrating were the missions? Like, were there were there any? What was the difficulty like on, on these games? Um, at the time I played Wing Commander three, I was playing on a pretty high difficulty level, uh, not the highest, but the second or highest. I think it was called Ace. Um, there's one mission in particular I can remember that was just awful on on uh, difficulty. You had to intercept a torpedo going at one of the capital ships, and the torpedo would be cloaking itself. Every, I don't know what it was, 10, 15 seconds. Then it would appear for a little while, then cloak itself. They called it the skipper missile. So you basically had to find it, track it down, and kill it within the first minute of the game. Otherwise, the whole mission was over. And I think I tried that mission no less than 20, 30 times. So that was just kind of the stereotypical escort mission that caused frustration. 
Uh, yeah, I'm breaking out into a cold sweat just listening to you talk about it. Uh, I've I've been playing so there's a, there's a game out this week called uh, Section Eight Prejudice. It's a shooter, um, and they have their sort of single player storyline, which doesn't do much for me, and in a way I couldn't care less about it. But if you play through it, you unlock some stuff. So for that reason, and because it's not out yet, so there's no multiplayer. I've been playing the single player, and it gets to this one mission where you have to follow a tank. Uh, and, and if the tank dies, the mission is over. And the tank just plows directly into like groups of enemies or right in front of a, a, a missile launcher. And I'm playing at the hardest level because you unlock the most stuff if you do that. And I'm guessing the way they balance it is they make weapons do more damage. So the tank literally dies within five minutes of this mission starting up. And I have to like memorize, okay, I have to take out these guys in this order. Uh, and I just remember that kind of that kind of like mission design from those wing commander games. And, and I remember some really brutal ones from like the, the X wing games as well. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Escort missions are just, just the, Oh, there, there's nothing quite so painful as a poorly designed escort mission. Is there now? Uh, that's the most frustrating thing in space sim games is the escort missions. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, the games rarely had, competent AI to help you with it, so it was usually just on you to track down incoming uh, torpedoes or whatever you know, end state was coming at you at all times. Right, right. Uh, uh, what, is there any, is there any cool, like, weapon upgrading, or you mentioned the loadouts that you get if you uh, hook up with Ginger Lynn. Uh, is there any cool, like, overarching strategy about, like, uh, ammo management or upgrading weapons in Wing Commander? Um, not so much. Um, I mean, there was some strategy in picking what kind of uh, you know missiles you wanted, whether you wanted the friend or foe or heat sinking or dumb fire and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I usually would have my kind of standard loadouts. Um, but the one thing they did do is give you new ships as the game went on. And both 3 and 4 ended with a pretty powerful ship. Um, 3 had one called Excalibur, which had some kind of auto-aiming turrets, so it made it much easier just to shoot anything down in combat. And then Wing Commander 4, you ended up getting a ship called uh, the uh, Dragon, and it was able to cloak. So it made the end of the game almost fairly trivial in combat. Mm-hmm. It could cloak and sneak up on stuff real easily. You know what? I'm now remembering, did maybe... Was John Reese davies playing a character named Paladin? Yes, he did, in 3 and 4. Does he die? Uh, no. Oh. No, he ends up being a uh, like governor of the assembly or something in, in 4. So what happens in 4 that Admiral Tolwyn is a bad guy? So this is after, at the end of Wing Commander 3, you uh, you blow up the Kilrathi homeworld with this uh, kind of go on a, almost like a trench run like uh, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uses this bomb in one of their faults and it makes the whole world uh, fall apart. Um, so it takes place 10 years after the Kilrathi War. And uh, there's this conflict with uh, a fringe group of humanity called the Border Worlds. And you know, a lot of stuff goes back on uh, back and forth where they're you know they're saying we didn't do anything there's like these terrorist actions some like the uh, the game starts out with a medical ship being bombed and someone's claiming the border world's dead uh, so it's kind of rising tensions between uh, uh, human factions mm-hmm. and then uh, as the game develops you find out that uh, Admiral Tolman engineered this conflict because he feels that humanity is kind of not evolving and not staying up to snuff by having no combat anymore so he's instigating this war uh, so that we'll be ready for the next alien race that invades. Um, so that kind of, it actually, the game culminates with uh, 
a dialogue at the uh, the Senate, the Imperial Senate, or whatever that's called. Uh, so the final scene of the game is actually a dialogue tree, where if you fail and get executed, and if you succeed, <laughs> they arrest Admiral Tolwyn. <laughs> that's great. I think that uh, that right there is uh, Eisenhower's warning about the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. That right there is the manifestation of that. <laughs> uh, let's talk briefly about space games that have come since Wing Commander. I mean, obviously, okay. this was sort of the the grandfather of this genre. Mm-hmm. It's since kind of died out. It's uh, I guess you could think of it as a, a a bloodline that has died out. We don't really get space. We get a few, but uh, what, I presume you've played uh, the Free Space and the X Wing games as well. I have. There's also a, a fifth Wing Commander game, Wing Commander Prophecy. Oh, that's I, never, right. I never finished it because I didn't really care for it as much. Mm-hmm. You know, they um, really put the shift back more on uh, combat. And it kind of got pretty easy. Um, it also removed any kind of uh, nonlinearity to the missions. Uh, it was kind of depersonalized. And, you know, Tom Wilson was still in it, and Mark Hamill showed up in, like, one cutscene. But kind of any continuity from the earlier games was gone. So I never even finished that game. It just never really did much for me. It was like the Babylon 5 kind of alien threat thing, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, right. It was this unknown threat, and it's, you know, they had some cool ships where they could join together and do some neat things, but they had, you know, zero personality compared to the Kilrathi, so. Right. Um, but yeah, I played both the Free Space games. Those were both excellent. Um, I'm sure you've heard most people consider Free Space 2 one of the uh, pinnacles of the genre before, right before it died. Mm-hmm. Uh, X-Wing and TIE Fighter, although I preferred TIE Fighter of those two by quite a bit. I think that's like, like TIE Fighter, there was some magic pixie dust or whatever in TIE Fighter that, uh, like if you were to disregard technology, because I recently played Free Space 2 again, uh, and with some third-party mods, it still looks fantastic. And yeah, it looks great. Yep, and and the sense of scale that it gets with the capital ships and and the just the basic gameplay with the energy management, the different weapons, it's still a fantastic game. But there's something about Tie Fighter that I I I mean, I think Tie Fighter might have been the perfect space combat game. Yeah, what I really liked is that the first half of that game, you were in a ship with no shields, so yeah, you couldn't yeah. get hit at all. <laughs> you know, you had to manage these big, huge fights with lasers going everywhere and you know you're fighting x-wings that had shields and you actually had to be really good at the game to survive now how much of that though me me saying something hyperbolic like that like there's there's that's the best one ever how much of that do you think has to do with uh just the the cultural impact of the star wars license versus it actually being a great game i think the star wars license gets you a decent way because you know it had a kind of a cool story going alongside just the missions you're joining this kind of secret order of uh, the dark side of the force or whatever, and you get these little tattoos as you went up in, in ranks. Uh, but um, just at its core, it was still a really good game, really good uh, uh, missions that it gave you and some interesting uh, objectives you get during missions. I think it really is. Like the fact that you end up, if I'm not mistaken, you end up playing Darth Vader's wingman in one of the missions, right? Yep, I think you do. Like, what, what an incredible hook. Like that's just great use of the license. What what kid wouldn't want to play? Or heck, you know what? I'll say it. What adult wouldn't want to, when you're playing evil, be Darth Vader's wingman? You know, when you get to right. play the bad guy side. And in a way, a new game like Free Space, or even a fairly uh, 
venerable franchise like Wing Commander just cannot compete with something like that. Right. Uh, yep, that, that's just a huge advantage. You know, okay, Mike, you mentioned the tattoos that you get mm-hmm. in uh, in Tie Fighter, and I'm remembering. I, I don't am- I don't know if a game did something like this before, but wouldn't you uh, amass in your quarters in Wing Commander like trophies from the different missions, or am I misremembering that? I don't. If, if Maybe, it was, it would only been in the first two, and I don't really remember them that well. You know, uh, what? I, I might be. You know, you, know was, you, you did get you got medals. Um, you know, you'd go up in ranks, and you get medals based on your performance in the games. I actually might be thinking of X-wing and, and the X-wing and Tie Fighter games. Yeah, like where you would have your quarters, and you can go in because that seems like such a LucasArts thing that that they would do. Mm-hmm. It's like building in little bits and pieces of lore. Uh, so I think that was actually something that Tie Fighter and X-wing did. And, and I haven't played those games in many, many years, so I'm not. I don't remember for sure. Well, the main advantage of I think Free Space Two these days is the tech is heartier and it supports these great mods. I mean, like I said, it still looks fantastic. I don't think that's the case with even X-wing Alliance, the most recent one. Yeah, um, and that that one at least supported 3D cards, but I'm sure it wouldn't look all that great. Yeah, but but you're right. You know, I I did the Free Space Two with all the mods and. You know, I was running that the max resolution of my monitor, and it just looks fantastic. Yeah, it really does. It's it's amazing. And I, I still have my uh, my force feedback joystick. That was also the uh, probably the best game to ever use force feedback. I think. Ah, yeah. See, that's it another would, uh, thing too. Is like I wonder. I mean, there's a chicken and egg thing there, but can can you really get a good solid? Can can you recapture that space sim combat without like a cool joystick? You know, was it free? Not freelancer. Uh, maybe it was freelancer. That that Microsoft Space Sim game that was built. Yeah, that was the house. the mouse one. Yeah, and that was okay, and that was cool. But I mean, there's nothing quite like having a joystick with different buttons and having buttons do different things. Uh, that was yeah. just such a huge part of the appeal. Um, and then you know, Free Space Two, even uh, you know, with a force feedback stick, you know, it was way more than just rumble that you get on a you know 360 controller. So when you're damaged, they change the center of the stick to be off in a corner. <laughs> you have awesome. to actually hold it in the middle to fly straight. Oh, that is fantastic. Great stuff. You know, I have long had a sort of a, a running feud with Stefan Janecki, who uh, he posts his desk lock. He writes a lot about RPGs mm-hmm. uh, that started many E3s ago where he maintained that the best space sim ever was Free Space 2. And I countered that he was dead wrong and didn't know what he was talking about and it was of course x-wing alliance now that that was many years ago and i i stuck to my guns for a long time but i think i'm going to go on the record right now as saying i'm pretty sure i was wrong <laughs> i mean <laughs> free space too good lord i mean revisit it recently i think i was seduced by the star wars license uh, yeah. yeah free space 2 just did so many things well you know the giant ships and the beam weapons and that yeah. was awesome yeah. Now you can still get Free Space too, by the way, on good old games. Yep. Uh, what do you know? Now you're lucky enough uh, to have a, a computer built uh, to run these older games. What do you know about how easy it is for someone these days to revisit Wing Commander games? Like, does Prophecy run on on modern computers? Um, I believe you can get Prophecy to run. There's a site called uh, Wing Commander News, wcnews.com, mm-hmm. and they have pretty good guides and actually some you know add-on files to help you get it running on modern machines. Mm-hmm. And the first two Wing Commanders work great in uh, in DOSBox. I tried that uh, last week before this podcast was coming up just to see if I could get them running. Uh, I had an old uh, CD that was a compilation of the first two games. And I was able to just run that right into DOSBox and work great. 
So it's, it's, it's still out there for folks who want to track that down. Yeah. Good. Um, no, you'd have to find the game. I don't know how hard that is. Uh, I'm sure it's probably available on eBay without too much trouble. Right. Uh, can you give us an example of the voice acting with the speech pack in Wing Commander 2? <laughs> I don't think so. All right. Just one line. Um, Actually, what kind of things would... So was it story-based talking, or was it just like the the computer talking to you while you're flying your ship? Oh, no, it was it? the entire plot. All the cutscenes had all full voices. So the Wing Commander 2 started out with uh, a scene with some Karathi prince was talking to his dad or son or something. This stuff has got to be on YouTube, I would imagine. I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah. Just look for the Wing Commander 2 intro, you'll see it. Uh, so these days, let's see, the last Space Sim, as far as like when it was released, the most recently released Space Sim I've played, I'm thinking of one. Have you played any Space Sims recently? I'll mention this one in case you... Uh, um, I picked up uh, Evil Crown Mercenary not too long ago. Oh, wait a minute. What is that? I've heard that name. We had a thread about it. Um, Sounds like something that Brian Rubin would proclaim as awesome, because uh, he plays yes. every space game. I don't, I'm not sure I trust his taste. I think he's, <laughs> if it's a space game, he loves it, so I, I kind of disregard <laughs> any sort of he's, critical thinking he might apply in that direction. But He's definitely uh, an active participant in that thread. So uh, what, what is Evil Cron Mercenary? Um, it's a pretty good modern space sim. I think it's only one or two guys who makes it. Um, uh, but there's this is, I think, the third in their games. Um, they kind of went from kind of rough uh, indie space game to something that's fairly well flushed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't put a whole lot of time into it, but it looks really nice. It's got a decent interface. Um, I kind of I have it sitting here on my Windows 7 uh, taskbar as something I need to play, but I haven't gotten back to. Is it an open-world elite kind of thing, or is it more of a mission-based, like scenario-based wing commander kind of thing? Um, it's um, it's open-world in that there's lots of missions all over the place to go get. Um, you can choose to you know be a trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, um, <laughs> or a combat pilot. There's even you know racing. And you kind of do what you want. It's got a pretty big universe to navigate. Uh, but then it does have a plot in there as well you can follow along mm-hmm. if you want to. Now, the one that, I, that I've that i played most recently, and it, it's not very good if your perspective, uh, if you're looking through the lens of like Free Space 2 or even the original Wing Commander, uh, it's one that was developed, I think it's one of those Eastern European games. It came out for the PC many years ago. It was recently ported to the Xbox 360, uh, a game called Dark Star 1, um, which it was okay. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's got, like you were mentioning with that, that other evil crown mercenary thing it's got a storyline but there's also you can run around and do what you want there's different activities uh it gets pretty repetitive but what they do to combat that is they let you upgrade your ship with a kind of a skill tree where it learns different you know i'll call them spells even though it's not magical but that's the idea is that it's this alien technology that gets super abilities um Mm -hmm. and it has like trading in it so it's got a little elements of elite um yeah i've not played that one it, you know what? It was weird, Mike, being able to sit on the couch and play a Wing Commander-ish type space game. I, I kind of liked that rather than sitting at a desk. You know, it was built to be simple with a, with a, a game pad. Uh, so as far as a laid-back Wing Commander-esque experience, uh, I really enjoyed Dark Star 1. Yeah, and I'm surprised that, you know, Space Sims haven't really made a comeback on consoles. Because, you know, with you know dual analog sticks and a decent amount of buttons, you, I think you could do a pretty good job with it. Why haven't uh, they? What's what's up with I, that? I don't know. There was one a few years back on the 360. Kind of some kind of... What was that? I can't remember the name of it. I wanted to say that almost a, a Japanese-esque type theme. 
Um, but this, the missions are okay. I remember renting it from Gamefly at the time. Like a space combat game. Yeah. Like you're in the cockpit thing. Yep. Can't think of the name of it at the moment, unfortunately. But other than that one, it's been uh, it's been almost nothing. Right. So in recent years, I've kind of gone on to some flight sims instead. You know, World War II uh, type sims, Wings of Prey, and that kind of thing. Oh, right. You mean like on... Oh, is Wings of Prey? On, I'm confusing that with the... Uh, there might be a certain Birds of Prey, or are you talking about the console things? Or? No, on, on PC. Like serious um, flight sims? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, that's kind of filled the gap since space sims aren't around so much. Right. Uh, and you I, know, have, you know I, I even have the little head tracking thing for those games and all that stuff. So. Oh, that IR tracker thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Does that work with Wing Commander? Uh, no. <laughs> hey, does that work with uh, with Free Space 2? I don't. I wonder if there's a mod for it. Actually, I should check that out. Oh man, <laughs> I can imagine how awesome that would be. Uh, all right, good. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned Wing Commander. I had forgotten a lot of the things that uh, you brought up today. Uh, so, uh, have you ever tried to get Kate to play Wing Commander? I have not. I don't think she'd have the patience for that. Does she know that you are playing video games that feature adult actresses? Probably not. <laughs> that game came out before I met her, so she probably has no idea. <laughs> well, your secret is safe with me. <laughs> well, all right. Well, Mike, thank you very much for uh, hanging out with me tonight, talking uh, some Wing Commander. Yeah, it was uh, great talking to you. So let's see. Portal 2 in uh, maybe three, four hours, but you got to work, so sorry. No Portal 2 for you until tomorrow. Uh, maybe I'll lose some sleep, depending on what time this uh, ends up going online. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to hear what folks think about Portal 2. Uh, there, there should be some interesting discussions uh, around that game. So, All right, well, thank you for uh, hanging out with me, Mike, uh, and I will be seeing you around then on the forum. Sounds good. All right, Mike, take care then. Yep, bye. You know what? I screwed up the music cue, so I'm going to do this because <laughs> I did not have... By the way, did you recognize that song? Of course you know? I did. The thing Pink is, Floyd. Like, yeah, but it, you know what? It's like it's like Pink Floyd after they decided they wanted to start getting their music played on the radio. Like It's Pink Floyd thinking, we're going to get a top 40 hit now right. that Roger Waters isn't with us anymore. You know, it's just <laughs> David Gilmore going all soft. Uh, Actually, I don't mind those those last two albums that much. I mean, they're not the classic, but they're okay. You know, I guess it has to do with, like, for me, Pink Floyd was an outlet for my tortured, angst-ridden teenage years. <laughs> so when Roger Rod- Waters went on to do his own sort of solo stuff, that's, like, where I sort of gravitated. And it was sort of like, oh, they left this, like, toothless Pink Floyd behind. Uh, but you know what? Maybe now that I'm older, I can sort of dig it. So, yeah, I, I don't mean to slag on uh, Floyd. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, okay, so let's predict- here's what was supposed to happen. When we did the sign off. So pretend that none of that other stuff happened. So here we go. Mike, thank you for hanging out, talking Wing Commander with me tonight. And I'll be seeing you around on the forum. All right. Talk to you later. Into the distance. See, because then the, then the music comes in and it plays. So, Stretch to the point of no uh, so since you're my age, what other kind of music do you like? Um, I like a lot of, uh, a lot of metal stuff. So I'm in those threads. Metal? Yeah. Like, like what? Um, did you play Brutal Legend, by the way? Um, I actually got it for uh, PS3 from a cheap Walmart sale. It's not played yet. It's just sitting out there. I well, want yeah, to. Get that off your backlog. That game is awesome. And if you like metal, that, that game actually introduced me to a lot of metal. Like, I oh, yeah? wasn't a huge Black Sabbath fan. 
like I knew about them and they're like, yeah, whatever. But I, you know, I, I bought Black Sabbath albums after playing Brutal Legends. So there you go. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's always that been like, um, let's see. I like probably some of my favorite bands are, uh, there's one called all that remains. There's one that I like called cynic. It's real big in our threads on a uh, quarter to three. Um, is this like hard, like hardcore metal where the guy is um, going like, oh, rah, rah, rah. is it that kind of thing? I, I actually tend to gravitate to the ones that with the guys who can sing. Now, a lot of times it's alternating singing with screaming, but, right. <laughs> um, but largely I, I appreciate the, uh, technical aspects. Um, I was a drummer for many, many years. So yeah, ah. I, uh, I appreciate what those drummers can do. Cause I never could quite that well. They know drummers are the, they're the like low lifes in the band. You know that, don't you? Yeah, that's the hardest instrument to play. <laughs> Come on, that's not true. They're just banging on stuff, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, what does what does Kate think of your musical taste? Ah, uh, she doesn't really approve. She looks like it's more of the <laughs> pop stuff. So then uh, I play rock I band. She, with the I kids bet sometimes. she would like this song. She would like this. I don't know if she really likes Pink Floyd. No, I, I do yeah, have nice, you know nice soft toothless floor. She would like that. I have all the most of the Pink Floyd albums and Led Zeppelin and a lot of classic stuff too. So, do you like the you Roger look, Waters solo albums? Do you know those? I, I don't have any of the Roger Waters solo stuff. I've heard some of the songs, but I don't actually own any of those. Okay. Um, so what about, what are, your, what are your thoughts about Foreigner? <laughs> <laughs> There's that Foreigner song in Rock Band that's okay to play, but that's about it. Uh, I asked because I think that was the first concert I ever went to. Oh, the first one I went to is uh, was ACDC. Whoa! Wow! Yeah. Oh man, you got the far you got the far better deal. You saw <laughs> ACDC. That's kind of cool. Man, I got to I had to go to Foreigner at the Arkansas State Fairgrounds Barton Coliseum, and you got to see ACDC. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's yeah. in my high school years. Uh, How old are you, Tom? <laughs> I am forty. I have to think. I'm old enough that I have to think about it. I'm forty-five. I was born in '66. Okay. So 45, is that right? Okay. No, I will be 45 this year. Okay. Yeah, I'll be 36 Wait, this year. No, no, no. I, I'm i 44 or 45. I'd have to do yeah. that. So, yeah, you'll anyway, be 45 yeah. on your birthday. All right. Thank uh, <laughs> I'm old enough that I don't care anymore. That's how old I am. <laughs> and that my first concert was Foreigner, and you got to go to ACDs. Uh, nice. By the way, I'm recording all this. This is all part of the podcast. Sweet. So, just so you know. That's all right. All right. <laughs> well, all right, Mike, thank you very much. Uh, it has been cool. Enjoy yeah. Portal 2 uh, and let me know what you think. And uh, we'll good. see you on the forum. All right. All right, Mike, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.